Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Markets are getting worked, and we're seeing this firsthand. And I'm bringing on one of our regular stock market technicians, you know, someone who looks at the charts and and takes a technical look at the market. And you're probably not going to like what he has to say. But we deliver the good, the bad, and the ugly on the Gaines podcast. And things are not looking good and they could get a lot uglier. And yes, we've seen some of those high flyers that have worked over the past few years down 80, 90%. And I got to tell you, it is tempting to buy some of these names and feel like you may be getting a really good, good deal. But as mentioned, our next guest will tell you to be cautious here. Because there could be even further downside. And that's what we're talking about today. Markets that can go lower and how to navigate all of this. I'm Andy Gersher and this is Gains. All right, we're going to bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego, His website is macrotides.com. Jim, always good to have you on the Gaines Podcast. What's going on? Same old, same old. Uh, Just a little bit of volatility for everybody to enjoy. Yeah, just a little bit, right? It's been very, very crazy as of late. A lot of this downside action, not a big surprise to the Gaines listener and and to... uh, a technician like yourself. So anyway, let's just set the table there. Um, Pick up on our last conversation about a month ago and just kind of talk what has uh, happened since then and where are we going? Well, I think the the biggest thing, Andy, is that the majority of people in the market today, and I'm talking about professionals, um, really haven't experienced directly and firsthand what we're dealing with right now. Inflation is at a 40-year high. Uh, and the Fed is responding accordingly. And the last time the Fed raised the federal funds rate aggressively was 1994. They increased it from 3% to 6%. Uh, The S&P only had a drawdown of about 10% that year because in 1994, earnings were up 36%. So we compare that to what's going on now. Uh, Analysts are still looking for a 10% increase in earnings in 2022, I think those earnings are going to come down in coming quarters because Jared Powell has really very explicitly said, 
we can't do anything about the supply problems. You know, things like not enough people going into the labor force, uh, shipping disruptions like what's happening with China and COVID, uh, computer chips and so forth. They can't do anything about that. They finally acknowledged that. And so they're going to try to dampen demand by raising interest rates up to what they call the neutral level, which is about two and a quarter to two and a half percent. Jim, real quick, explain that, Uh, you know, for the Gaines listeners not familiar. When he's talking about neutral level, what exactly is that? And how did you get that number? Basically, the neutral level, as it implies, is where monetary policy or the level of the federal funds rate is neither accommodative or restrictive. So in other words, it's a completely neutral rate. And, you know, there is no hard and fast number that you can point to as to, well, what is the neutral level? Um, Powell has said somewhere between two and three. He personally said two and a half percent. So uh, what's happened over the last month, and again, the Fed has been, they use forward guidance, Andy, and, and they're really, really big believers that if they talk to the markets and talk to consumers, if you will, that that will shape inflation expectations in coming years. Wow, they've, they've, they've done a really good job, especially, you know, <laughs> it being transitory and, and, you know, hitting it right on the mark. I hate to pound the Fed here, but yeah. and again, no surprise. We've only been talking about this for six months. The missteps there right. continue. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, so they've been telegraphing because they've just gone through this shift from, you know, extreme accommodation until late last year toward raising interest rates, starting to adjust their uh, and shrink their balance sheet. So they've really upped the communication. And I think the threat of 40-year highs in inflation has really brought the doves and the hawks uh, on board. And that's one thing most people don't do, they should, uh, is find out who these people are on the Federal Reserve Board, uh, especially the voting members. And because when a guy like Kashkari says something, he's the most dovish member of the FOMC there is. Bullard is probably the most hawkish. So it helps if one understands where these people fall on the spectrum of dove and hawk to kind of interpret their comments. Uh, but the thing that was noteworthy from my perspective, Andy, was that over the last three weeks or so, everyone came out, even Mary Daly, who's San Francisco, uh, and a number of other uh, Fed district presidents, all saying the same thing. We, will, we need to get the federal funds rate up to neutral, and then we'll wait and see. And I think that's what the Fed is going to do, is raise the federal funds rate. And as we talked months ago, I thought the Fed Fed would front load this. And back in January, Goldman Sachs was saying, well, one quarter point increase every quarter. And I'm like, no way. They're going to raise in March, May, and June. And obviously, that's what's taking place. And now the only thing is that they're doing 50 basis points instead of 25. So they want to get the, the Fed funds rate up to that neutral level, in effect, to remove accommodation. And Bullard gave a speech, and it, it was really, I thought, excellent, because he said, you know, everyone keeps talking about us tightening policy. But when you're going from extreme accommodation to neutral, you're not really tightening. You're just removing accommodation. And maybe it sounds like that's splitting hairs, but conceptually, he's spot on. And so to me, one of the key things here, Andy, as we get to the second half of this year, is whether or not the Fed feels compelled 
to go beyond uh, that neutral level of about two and a quarter to two and a half. And I guess you so, got to see where inflation's at too. I mean, that's a that's a yeah. big part of that. Uh, I mean, that's why they're getting aggressive right. uh, with policy right. because of the inflation that we've seen. And and I guess the one good thing in all of this, it's refreshing that they are actually the Fed is actually now tackling this in a meaningful way. So I actually look at that as as a positive for the economy uh, long term. Absolutely. I mean, and Powell has you know been pretty straightforward in terms of saying you know stability means lower inflation. So until we get inflation back down, we can't really expect a stable uh, economic environment. And I think they also, you know, the Fed has become much more socially conscious in the last five years, and they're looking at the cost of food and energy. Well, those at the bottom 20% of the income strata spend about 45% of their income on food and energy. Now, obviously, that varies by city and where people are located, but that's a good thumbnail, for, uh, you know, across the board of the United States. Middle class folks are probably about 25%. So they're really acutely aware that these high inflation rates are really hurting the lower income people, even though they're getting good uh, wage increases over the last couple of years. Uh, it hasn't kept up with what's happening with inflation. Yeah. Anybody who's been to the grocery store uh, as of late, you yep. can see this firsthand. And I mean, it's at the point now just I'm looking at from just your average consumer you go in there, you're paying more for something, it seems like, almost every week. That's on top of uh, what we're seeing in, in gas prices. Really yep. tough for the folks yep. on the lower end. So, yep. uh, But at least, at least the Fed is tackling this, and by getting aggressive, we're, we're headed in the right direction. I guess the, the big question is then... How far does the uh, stock market take it to the chin? It's gotten roughed up, and and, yep. and 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 let's talk about where we are technically. They've sure. we've blown through some key levels, and I want you to touch on that. How much more downside is there to go here? I, I mean, things could go significantly lower. It's possible. I think again, the determination is going to be, from my perspective, Andy, whether or not the Fed has to go above that two and a half threshold. Uh, because it would increase the odds of a recession, I think, very significantly. Uh, historically, the average decline during a recession for the S&P 500 is 36%. That would bring it down to about 3,100. So that's, to me, the litmus test uh, of whether or not we'll see that magnitude of a decline or if the Fed is able not to go above 2.5% on the Fed funds rate and they get some help outside of, uh, you know, in other words, the things they have no control over. So to be fair, you know, I was very critical last year of the Fed, uh, the transitory narrative and so forth. I didn't think it was going to prove to be that way. It wasn't. But we also have to, in fairness, acknowledge that things like uh, the Ukraine war and what it has meant for all energy prices, they were granted up a lot prior to the war, but the impact on fertilizer and food costs, uh, now, now, Jim, know. though, I want to I want to push back yep. a little bit on that from hearing a lot of the talking heads out there, the Ukraine-Russia thing, there's more blame put on that 
than some of the other things, the missteps, the overprinting, the, yeah. the missteps in Fed policy. You know, a lot of blame game is going on the Russia-Ukraine thing. It is a factor uh, from a human standpoint. It's a it's a disaster. It's terrible what's going on there. It It has definitely squeezed an already tight supply chain, but... So many missteps beforehand, uh, neutering our uh, oil production domestically, missteps from the Fed, money printing, and they didn't even get it all through that they were talking about. These things were already in place, and a lot of this would already be happening. I think uh, uh, there's too much blame put on in this Russia-Ukraine thing. Your thoughts yeah. on that? No, I, I agree. I, I, you know, uh, I try to be middle of the road uh, on a lot of this stuff. So I remember the, you know, with the financial crisis, uh, you know, the Republicans wanted to blame it on the Community Resource Act, um, uh, and the Democrats wanted to blame it on greedy banks. And the reality was there were about five or six factors that contributed. So the, the point I would make is whenever you have a big problem, it almost always isn't because of one or two reasons. There are a lot of different reasons. And the same thing is going on with this inflation. No question that the American uh, rescue plan that was passed uh, in March of last year, and it was $1.9 trillion, it put a lot of money uh, into people's pockets. They paid $1,400 for even people who were working. And if you look at charts of the demand for goods that then quickly followed, and then the supply chain issues, in my mind, there's no question that fiscal policy played a role. We know monetary policy played a role by keeping rates down far below what they should be. Uh, and the net result is you have housing prices up 20% over a year. Um, so, you know, to me, those are two very important factors. At the same time, there are things outside of the Fed's control um, that um, have developed that have made it worse. First thing that comes you know. to mind is the neutering of our energy, demonizing uh, <laughs> energy that we were going to have to lean on here at yep. least for a couple yeah. years. So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, again, our, uh, you know, I've been pretty critical about our energy policy where, okay, we need more oil and gas production so we can help Germany and Europe out with natural gas supplies because they're so dependent on Russia for that stuff. And um, in, instead, you know, we asked OPEC, we asked, uh, uh, I think, was it Venezuela? In other words, let's do everything possible except to act American producers uh, to increase oil production um, because the far left would go nuts if they did that. And so the Democratic Party is kind of controlled to a large extent when it comes to energy policy by those who believe that we need to do everything possible to address the existential crisis that uh, you know climate change represents and i'm not trying to minimize that at the same time these but are then the you also have parts. russia too so yeah. I mean, how do you play it i mean do you do you get it well, from uh, places that don't make it as clean as we have it or, or that we can produce it in north america do you buy it from regimes that that actually hate our country right. <laughs> the energy thing's a real mess and that's just not russia ukraine i've just been hearing no, so no, much no, I, blame about yeah it's all russia ukraine you know there's so many things well, in place convenient. Right? it's convenient to do that but yeah. the, the point i would make and we've kind of i think talked about this a little bit is that if you go back to 2006 those who are totally you know it has to be a green solution only we're completely against uh, fracking 
in this country. And in Great Britain, they outlawed it. Germany, they wouldn't do it and so forth. But in the U.S., we did do it. And the net result was that the reliance on coal dropped from 39% of our energy and electricity production to about 26%. Why? Because fracking unleashed an enormous amount of natural gas. Utilities were able to move away from coal to natural gas because of cost advantages. And the net result is we had the longest business expansion in our history, 10 years, and uh, emissions didn't grow during that period. That has never, ever happened during a business expansion. So my only point is those who were dead set against fracking, which proved to be a, a, a huge benefit to, a, again, accomplish what we're trying to do, lower emissions, are the same folks that are still against nuclear and about any fossil fuel. And the points you bring up, Andy, are really terrific because in a lot of places around the world, the drilling that is done is doesn't come close to the environmental standards that U.S. drillers have to maintain and meet. And so if you, the world needs the energy. So who would you rather produce it? You know, in a country that is going to maintain very high and strict environmental regulations or somewhere else. And But again, if a person is driven totally by ideology, and both parties have a tendency to do this, um, you know, you don't look for common sense solutions. You look for what meets, um, you know, the ideology. And that certainly goes on for both sides. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. I've been told that's podcast gold. And if you could do that for us, total solid. I appreciate it. And then as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gaines episode drops. We drop Gaines episodes on Wednesday and Friday mornings. We'll continue the discussion and be right back after the break. If you enjoy learning about communities, culture, and history, then Shades of the City podcast is for you. We will bring you stories like the legacy of Johnson Publishing Company, most notably known for Jet and Ebony magazines. Basically what the world said African-American people could not do, these magazines proved otherwise. Subscribe now to Shades of the City on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. 
You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. His website, of course, is macrotides.com. Jim, give us that bonus plug for the Gaines listener. Uh, you can go and find out uh, more about what I do at macrotides.com. And if you shoot me an email, Jim Welsh, uh, macro at uh, Gmail. I will send you uh, a recent publication that covers a lot of things that Andy and I have been discussing that I think you'll find uh, of of value and you'll get a little bit more insight in terms of how I approach markets. So as we were going into break, we were kind of setting the table, talking about where we've been. We've talked about the missteps of Fed. Uh, We've talked about the energy thing. And, of course, there's the Russia-Ukraine situation. Another thing we haven't even really brought up, but but is playing into it as well, is China being uber aggressive with their lockdowns, and, and that's you know adding to the supply chain issues. So markets have kind of fell into place, like we, we've talked about, Jim. How far do we go? What are you looking at? What are the specific levels uh, that you're watching right now? To get a yeah. sense on on how bad uh, this could be and when we might see a, a turnaround. You know, back in December when we spoke, uh, you know, I thought the S&P was vulnerable to a 10 to 15 percent correction because the Fed was going to shift monetary policy and tighten liquidity. And what we have seen is interest rates, particularly like two-year treasuries and the 10-year treasury, have risen significantly over the last uh, four-plus months. And so to me, if you look at the stock market, Andy, there's two functions that take place that either can lift stock prices or bring them down. And when rates go up, P.E. ratios come down. It's just a valuation metric that works. So a lot of the decline that we've seen so far is the result of the two-year going up, the 10-year Treasury yield going up, and P.E. ratios coming down. And what I've written recently is I think the next shoe to drop is – Uh, Since I believe the Fed is going to dampen demand, we're going to see economic growth slow. We're going to see earnings come down uh, as a result of that. And the net result is I think the market is vulnerable to a further contraction in PEs because earnings estimates, which are expected to be up 10 percent for this year, I think are going to get reduced. So that to me is the risk. As we've talked in the last two, three months, I've talked about 38.50 on the S&P, and that's a number. Uh, we, I think the last time we actually talked about Fibonacci stuff for a little bit. From the low of March of 2020, uh, 21.90, the S&P rallied to over 4,800 in January of this year. The 38.2% retracement of that is 38.50. And if you look at the chart, there's a, a trend line that connects a high from January of 2018 to the February 2020 high that comes in around 3,900. So in terms of, okay, the market's being pressured lower by this big shift in monetary policy and then potentially estimates for future earnings to come down, that is a logical place in my mind for the S&P to be able to find some support. 
Um, you know, the variables, as I said, if the Fed has to go above 2.5% in the second half of this year, I think the risk of inflation goes much higher. So I'm in the camp that at this point in time, I don't think a recession is likely, certainly not in 2022. Uh, consumers are sitting on $2.5 trillion worth of savings. Uh, businesses are spending. Uh, the labor market is still very, very strong. Historically, prior to a recession, people start getting laid off. Wage growth starts to slow. We're not seeing anything like that. You've got 11 million job openings, 6 million unemployed people. That's never happened before, that ratio of 1.8 uh, you know, job openings to workers. So there's some real good reasons why I think the economy is, at least in 2022, is not going into recession. And that, to me, is the key. So 38.50 and maybe a touch lower as possible. Um, and then it just, you know, again, I was very confident that we were going to get down to this level. Now it's a question of, see, what can the market show? And tomorrow the, the consumer price index comes out. I'm pretty confident it is going to decline uh, from the 8.5% we saw f- from March over March uh, from last year. So if the market can't rally on that, Andy, um, look out below. Uh, my assumption here is the market will rally. Uh, people will come, I think, to the incorrect c- conclusion that, oh, gee whiz, inflation's peaked, and that will mean that the Fed doesn't have to raise rates ag- as aggressively, and woohoo. There's a huge difference between inflation peaking at 8.5 versus 3.5. So inflation coming down a little bit um, is not going to change monetary policy over the next few months. But in the short run, I think the S&P could potentially rally 4,200 and maybe as high as 4,300. But I, I believe that the lows that we hit today at 39.58, I believe, um, my guess is that after any kind of a near-term bounce, Andy, we're going to see the market drop below that 39.58. Wow. So uh, pretty negative view and not a lot of places to run to either, huh, Jim? First of all, let's acknowledge something, that what we've seen in the last two weeks especially, everything has pretty much gone down. Uh, Treasury bond prices have gone down. Gold has gone down. Gold stocks have gotten hit. Uranium, that ETF, I recommended uh, selling it at $26.80. It traded under $20 today. So if my outlook is that, gee, the Fed has more to do and there's a risk of uh, another compression in P.E. ratios, um, you know, I, I just think that people have to be aware that this is kind of a treacherous environment. So uh, can you buy a URA, which is the uranium ETF? Yes. But I would put a stop under that like 1% below that, because I think there's a chance that things could get really ugly. Like I said, if the CPI comes out tomorrow and ticks down from eight and a half to eight, one or eight, two, and the market tries to rally Andy and then fades and we start to turn negative and take out today's low, um, you know, it could be, it could get pretty ugly very quickly. And, and, and Jim, the one thing is you've seen a lot of these stocks get hit 70, 80, 90% down. It is so tempting to jump in at those lower prices, but you're fairly bearish right now. It seems like, is it maybe too early? I think so. Here's the caution is that when a stock is down a whole lot, obviously it looks, wow, look at that. It's down 80%. Oh my goodness. You know, such a deal. But the problem is you have everybody who's bought in that stock prior to today, almost everyone is sitting with a loss. 
Now, how much are they going to take? Has everyone with a loss that can't take it anymore sold? And that's the problem is when something goes down that much, Andy, it may bounce 20%. But, you know, on that bounce, there's going to be people looking, oh, thank God it finally bounced. I'm going to get out of it. So what typically happens after these major type declines that have hit some of these stocks is you get a period of just bouncing up and down, up and down as you, you know, some bottom fishers come in, it bounces and the people that got buried in it sell. So you're not going to get the same kind of move that we saw six, 12 months ago when something got hit and boy, it snapped back and kept running. It's just a completely different environment. So um, again, last on May 2nd, my weekly technical review, I said, okay, I think the S&P can rally to 4,300 because the Fed is not going to raise the Fed funds 75 basis points. Um, but there are people there that are worried that it will. And sure enough, Powell came out and said, no, we're not, you know, they, it was only 50. And he said, no, uh, 75 is not on the table. The S&P rallied 150 points in 80 minutes. I kind of wish he would have front-loaded that and actually hit us with a little harder thing. I, I, I think the markets might have reacted a little different. But, yeah, go ahead. I don't know, Andy, because, again, it rallied when he said no 75 basis point, 150 points in 80 minutes on the S&P. Um, and the idea that, oh, if he had done 75, the market would have rallied. I don't think so. I, I, again, that's. Oh, I, I don't know if it would have yeah. necessarily rallied. I don't know if anything is going to take this market higher right now, except yep. short covering. And, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and, and then when you see, and, and you're starting to see this a lot too, is whenever we do get some kind of lift, a lot of people are then taking that opportunity to sell. To yeah, get out of yeah. positions, and and that's kind of scary. That doesn't bode well for the market. No, again, so unless somebody is watching a screen. So last week, you know, I said, okay, I think the S P can rally to forty three hundred and possibly forty four hundred if the C P I report comes in as expected and ticks down. Well, the S and P, you know, as I said, in uh, eighty minutes, rallied to forty three oh seven on last Wednesday, and then by Thursday, it had almost given all of it back, and Friday, it had given everything back. So unless someone is sitting in front of a screen, I think it's very difficult to buy something in this kind of environment so that you can, you know, uh, realistically manage the risk. So um, I just, you know, so to answer your question, if the S&P rallied to 4,300, I would look to be short. At 4,200, I would really consider it. But again, I'm in a position where I can be sitting in front of a screen and watching how a move up to 4,200 is starting to run out of gas and roll over to be able to then react to that. Most people don't have that ability. Ability or the time to watch it every single second. It seems like you have a really cautious tone here. So as we wrap up today's gains podcast, what's your takeaway from the conversation? It seems like uh, a real uh, warning here. And, yeah. and again, uh, waiting for clarity. But I'll have you wrap up today's uh, conversation. Yeah. Uh, much of what we just talked about, Andy, I discussed in the May macro ties, which went out a week ago. So, again, because uh, people were smart enough to be listening to the GAINS podcast with you, uh, I'm happy to send them the May macro ties uh, issue, which goes into greater detail in explaining all this good stuff. And I think it's imperative that people understand where we are, you know, with monetary policy, it's something that we really haven't had to deal with for a very, very long time. So I'm happy to do that, and I think most people will find it very informative. Jim Welsh Macro, 
at Gmail to get a free to get the uh, uh, May Macrotides and uh, Macrotides.com to find out more about what I'm doing. And and again, just going back to some of our previous gains episodes, you kind of spoke to that. They hold up fairly well. Go go back the last couple months and and listen to what we were talking about and yeah. uh, you know yeah, and the again expectation was that we were going to see lower prices and again big thanks to Jim Welsh macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego the website is always macrotides.com and as always be sure to subscribe follow leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We are back on Friday, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.